This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. Wherever you're watching from and to join us in the scriptures today, in this current series on the seven sayings of the cross. I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles today and turn with me to the Gospel of John chapter 19. And today we're speaking on the fifth saying of the cross. Jesus spoke seven times while hanging in utter agony for me and for you, for the sins of the world. Now, I want you to look in the scriptures here today with me, John chapter 19, and I'm speaking this morning on the words of suffering, the words of suffering. And in John chapter 19, verse number 28, this is the fifth saying of the cross or the fifth time Jesus spoke on the cross. And the scripture says, after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith I thirst. And in just a few moments, we're going to talk about the utmost reverence that Jesus had for the scripture. And the Bible says, that he put all things in place, having fulfilled everything that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith I thirst. When we think about the series thus far and every detail of the cross that we have already mentioned, I think it's a humbling and heartbreaking experience to come to this place particularly when we see the Savior in need of a drink. I want you to think about that just for a moment. When Jesus said, I thirst, like everything else that he had said, everything else that he had already spoken, these words were in the fulfillment of Bible prophecy. In fact, I want you to see, we're going to walk ourselves through this this morning, and I've mentioned that I have many of them already in reference for you, but I want you to see, turn with me to Psalms chapter 69, and I want to show you something in verse number 21. Psalms 69 and verse number 21, we see the Savior there with blistering lips, He has already gone through the horrific barbaric treatments that has led up to this point. Really, only the thing that's missing right now is the Roman spear that would pierce his side in the end. So Jesus is already experiencing all the horrific brutality of the cross. And now he speaks these words, I thirst. But I want you to see what the scripture says here in the prophetic sense. This is the prophecy given hundreds of years before Jesus went to the cross. The Bible says, they gave me also gall for my meat and in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. Now, I want you to see another scripture compared to this 
and that's in Mark chapter 15 and verse number 23. They'll get these scriptures here quickly for you on the screen. But in comparison to what we have just read in Psalms chapter 69, look at this. And they gave him to drink wine mingled with myrrh. This is important. But he received it not. And let me mention just one more thing because gall, some of you may know, is bile. It's a substance secreted by the liver and it's extremely bitter. Wormwood is an aromic type of a plant that is also bitter. But there's one thing in particular that I want you to see in Mark 15, 23. They gave him this concoction mingled with myrrh. And if you do not know this about myrrh, you know that when the wise men from the east came to see Jesus, they brought gifts from afar, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When Jesus had bowed his head and gave up the ghost and he was dead, the Bible says that a man named Nicodemus, whom you are well familiar with in John chapter 3, he's the man that asked the great question, how can a man be born again? He was the ruler that came to see Jesus at night. Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, whose borrowed tomb would be used to suffice the burial for the Lord Jesus. These two men went to Pilate and said, can we take him down from the cross? Can we prepare him for burial? And Pilate gave them permission to do so. And when they took the body of Jesus down from the cross, some of the women began to prepare Jesus for the burial. And this is what they did. They wrapped him. We know with these spices, these ointments, but in the mixture of these spices and these ointments, were two particular fragrances. One was aloe, the other was myrrh. So the thing that I want you to understand that myrrh was used in burial preparation. I'm not going to go as far to say that it was embalming fluid of the day but it was definitely associated in the preparation of people who died. So whatever the spice, the liquid, the concoction was, this is what they gave Jesus in the final hours of his life while he was dying for the sins of the world. And the scripture says that when they put it to his mouth in Mark 15, 23, but he received it not. One of the most important things to remember about the crucifixion is this, that every single event that was happening on the cross 
had been predetermined by God himself. Calvary was a fulfillment of the prophetic word. And what I want to show you right now may be interesting for you because it may be that you see this for the very first time. I want you to see how prophecy comes hand in hand with the scriptures. And I want you to examine with me just for a moment as we review some of the horrific events of the cross and how they were prophesied in the Old Testament. We're going to be looking in the Psalms for most of these, so turn your Bibles to Psalms 22. Because Psalms 22 in verse number 1 gives us the prophetic declaration that Jesus would be forsaken by God. We talked a little bit about that last Sunday. In Psalms 22, verse number 1, the Scripture says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? This is the Old Testament prophecy where Jesus would be forsaken by God on the cross. And then in verse number 18, Psalms 22, verse number 18, we have the prophecy where they would be gambling for his garments. The scripture says, they part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. In Psalms chapter 31 and verse number 11, we have the prophecy where Jesus would be forsaken by his disciples. The scripture says, I was a reproach among all mine enemies, but especially among my neighbors and a fear to mine acquaintance. They that did see me without fled from me. And in Psalms chapter 35 and verse number 11, we see the prophecy of them making false accusations against Jesus. When the scripture says false witness did rise up, they laid to my charge things I knew not. And that doesn't mean that Jesus was oblivious to what they were indicting him for, what they were charging him with. He's omniscient. We'll see that more in just a moment. But he says, my charge things that I knew not. I, I have no idea why they came up with these things. In Psalms 41, verse number 9, we find how the word gives us in prophecy how Jesus would be betrayed by a friend. Psalms 41, verse number 9, Yea, mine own familiar friend in whom I trusted, which did eat my bread, had lifted up his heel against me. That sounds like a little bit of Genesis 3.15. But then we find the prophecy where Jesus would be mocked by the spectators, and that's in Psalms chapter 109 and verse number 25. Psalms 109, verse number 25. The scripture says, I became also a reproach unto them. When they looked upon me, they shake their heads. We read the scriptures in the New Testament of that last Sunday. But then there's another one. It's in the book of Isaiah. 
Isaiah chapter 53 and verse number 7, it's the prophecy where Jesus would stand silent before his judges. In Isaiah 57, the word says he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. In this same chapter, Isaiah 53 and verse number 12, we find the prophecy where he would be numbered with the transgressors. He would be crucified between two thieves. The Bible says, therefore will I divide him a portion with the great and he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he had poured out his soul unto death and he was numbered with the transgressors and he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. But I want to go back to Psalms just for a moment. In Psalm 69 and verse 21, we find the prophecy that they would give him vinegar to drink. And we just read it. They gave me also gall for meat, and in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. And so my point is this, as you travel with me, as you walk through these sacred scriptures today of prophecy, you can see how thousands of years before Jesus got to the cross, all of these things have been prophesied that it would happen. Each of these things were plainly foretold centuries before the crucifixion that they would come to pass. And for me, I don't know about you, but this proves to me, this is the infallible proof that God's word is true. Jesus was not stumbling over the events of the cross. That's important to remember. All of it had been carefully planned by God. And now we find him here on the cross in his thirsty hour. The words I thirst contain several spiritual truths, and I want us to look at them more closely and carefully today. If you're following your bulletin, I want you to see the first thing that I have listed here this morning, and that is this. In this particular phase of the cross, we have evidence of the Lord's humanity. That's important. We need to remember that Jesus was God in the flesh. The scripture says in John chapter 1, verse number 1, that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. But I want you to understand he was just as much man as he was God. That might be a little difficult to wrap your mind around, but that's true because in the 14th verse of chapter 1, the Bible says, and the word, which was God, became flesh and dwelt among us. This is what is meant by Jesus being the God-man, talking about his incarnation. And many don't realize this, but when the incarnation took place, listen very carefully, Jesus did not cease to be God. You have to remember this. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Who is the Word? Jesus. And so the incarnation of Jesus, it did not 
separate him from this great doctrine of the Bible. He did not cease to be God. In fact, I want to be very careful with this. I want you to understand that there was no heavenly transfer of power when he came. And the reason for that is this. In his conception, his conception did not put human blood in his veins. That's imperative. Neither did he lay aside any of his divine attributes because the Bible teaches us that when he came, he still possessed all power. By that, I mean this. He stripped himself of his splendor and majesty in heaven, but he did not cease to be all that he previously was. Because you see, when he came, he was still the only begotten son of God. When he came, he was still the second person of the Godhead. When he came, he still had a reserved place at the Father's throne. And so in his absence from heaven, the Lord Jesus continued to demonstrate full proof of his deity. Jesus was not feeling his way through life as a blind man, deaf and dumb, because the scriptures teach us that he spoke with divine wisdom. He acted with divine holiness. He exhibited divine power. He displayed divine love. The scripture says that he read men's mind when he found the woman in adultery. The Bible says that he moved men's hearts when he spoke to Peter asking him, who do men say that I am? He compelled men's will when he said, drop your nets and follow me. He brought nature to its knees when he spoke to the winds and the sea, when he said, peace be still. And he demonstrated power over demons when he set the man free of Gadara. So you think about this. He was so much God, yet he was so much man. And we see the evidence here of his humanity. We know that the Bible says that he entered the world as a baby. We know that the Bible says that when he was a child, the scriptures say that he grew in wisdom. That when he was a boy, he was found asking questions and that when he was a man, he was weary in body. But in further proof of his humanity, the Bible says this in Matthew chapter 4, verse number 2, that he hungered. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward hungered. Not only did he experience physical hunger, but also he was a man in need of physical sleep. The Bible says in Mark chapter 4, verse number 38, and he was in the hinder part of the ship asleep on a pillow, and they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? Not only did he have a need for physical food, and not only did he have a need for a place to lay down his head and sleep, but on occasion, three that I specifically know of, he found an emotion to cry. The shortest verse in the Bible, John eleven thirty five. 35, the scripture says, Jesus wept. 
Not only that, he had a need to pray. The Bible says in Mark chapter 1, verse number 35, and in the morning rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. He also had in this earthly life a need to praise and a need to rejoice. In Luke chapter 10, verse number 21, in that hour Jesus rejoiced in spirit and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and has revealed them unto babes, even so, for so it seemed good in thy sight. And so listen now. In the fifth saying of the cross, we see a need, an element of his humanity when he begins to say or cry, I thirst. So in these words, it's clear that Jesus was just as much of a man as he was God. The second thing I want you to see is this, the intensity of his suffering. Because I believe there's a whole lot more going on here than his physical suffering. When you look carefully at this, there is something much deeper behind these words, I thirst, much, much deeper. This is not necessarily simply just a common thirst like you and I would consider that we could imagine. I want you to retrace a few steps with me just for a moment. Something that took place in his agonizing betrayal. Because when Jesus was expressing to the disciples that in just a few moments, one of them was going to betray him, have you ever thought it to be odd or strange that Judas had blended himself so well with those other disciples whenever they went out on the crusade, whenever they were in the ministry of healing and whenever they were in the ministry of preaching, whenever they were in the ministry of feeding the hungry, Judas had blended himself so well with the rest of them that when Jesus was telling them that this night one of you are going to betray me, they all begin to turn to one another and say, Lord, is it me? Is it I? They didn't say, well, yeah, we've had him figured out from day one. I don't know why this old buzzard been with us anyway. They didn't turn to him and do that. They began to question each other. They looked at John. John looked at Peter. They asked, is it me? Now you think about that. Talk about playing church. That's real easy to do. They turned to one another and said, is it me? Look at Matthew chapter 26, verse 23. Jesus said, he that dippeth his hand with me in the dish, the same shall betray me. And in John 13, 30, Judas having then received the sop went out immediately out and it was night. And so think with me now because Jesus had just washed the feet of the disciples he and his band of disciples, they left the upper room and they entered into the Garden of Gethsemane. The word says 
that Jesus prayed three times, Father, if it be thy will, let this cup pass from me. According to the scriptures, then Judas betrayed him. And it just got worse because not only did Judas betray him, but according to scripture, the disciples forsook him. But it only got worse. After Judas betrayed him, after the disciples forsook him, then Peter denied him. Then they illegally tried him. They unjustly condemned him. The crowds mocked him and his own people were crying, crucify him. Think about these events. It's falling like dominoes. Everything's going south. Everything's getting worse by the minute. And so he's here on the cross, and now he's speaking these words, I thirst. I think it's far more than a physical desire to have water. There's no doubt that his body had a physical thirst, but I think there was another kind of thirst going on here. I think we all know that the internal trials of our soul they have a way to react upon our body that when those particular things are disturbed, it creates such a ruckus within us physically, but it reaches down and wrecks our emotions as well because in times like that, you'll find yourself going through a period of time when you cannot sleep, when, when you are physically overwhelmed and you are physically distressed I promise you it's going to affect you emotionally as well. You, you'll get to the place where physical strain and stress will start affecting you where you cannot physically sleep. Your emotions are so tangled up in the circumstance you can't sleep. and You lose sleep and maybe you can't eat and then maybe you'll get headaches and maybe you'll get stress and maybe you'll cry all the time. Different emotions come out of this. And here's the thing. If you get wrecked physically and then it begins to affect you emotionally where you can't eat, you can't sleep, you cry yourself to sleep. And let me say this. If you have never found yourself in a situation like that, you haven't lived long enough because sooner or later, those kind of things are going to come your way and they come my way. But listen carefully. When your body's wrecked and your emotion is wrecked, if you cannot get the grip on that quick, then you're going to find yourself spiritually wrecked. They, they all work together. They all go hand in hand. And when that happens, listen, now try to imagine all three of those things. I mean, when you become spiritually wrecked, you won't feel like praying. You won't feel like reading your Bible. You won't feel like serving the Lord. A broken spirit, listen now, can discourage you spiritually. You just want to pull the shades and just wither away. And I'm sure that we have all experienced things like that in our life when we were so burdened that it has caused our spirit to be unrested. In fact, there's a scripture for that, and I want you to see it. It's found in Proverbs chapter 17 and verse number 22. And this is what the word says. It goes hand in hand with what I'm talking about. A broken spirit drieth 
to the bones. It drains energy and life out of us. There's no other way to put it that the body and the soul, they have a way to react towards one another. And we have to keep in mind that at this point, Jesus is emerging from three hours of darkness. And the Bible says in Matthew 27, verse 45, now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land unto the ninth hour. You have to also remember that God the Father had turned his back on his only begotten son. And so there was a physical element in this. There was an emotional element to this. And there was a spiritual element in this. And so his thirst was the effect of the agony of his soul in the fiercest heat of God's wrath. It was more than a thirst for physical water. It was a yearning to have that joint communion back in fellowship with God once again. But Jesus was thirsty. I believe more than anything for that fellowship with God. Number three, look at this. We see the Lord's deep reverence for the scripture. Don't ever forget that he defeated Satan in the wilderness with the word. He defeated Satan in the wilderness. Remember what he said? It is written. And so when I think about that, he had a deep reverence for the word. The old song is true when we think about it. We think about it more so during the Easter season than any other. He could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set him free. He could have called 10,000 angels, but he died alone for you and me, is what the songwriter said. But Jesus was determined to honor the prophetic word. Jesus lived by every single word of the Holy Scriptures. He was the word. The word had formed his thoughts. The word had filled his heart. And by the way, Jesus knew what to expect when they put that gall and myrrh, that wormwood, that vinegar. When they put this concoction up to his mouth, he knew what was coming. He knew the word. He knew they were going to do this, but Jesus was so committed to scriptures. He was willing to fulfill the word. He knew all of this. Jesus never strayed one minute from the scriptures. Number four, quickly look at this. I want us to see the Savior's submission to the Father's will. When he said this in Matthew 26, verse 39, he said, not my will, but thine. I think it's an amazing thought to think how the one who had created the oceans of the world was now the one who was saying, I thirst. But let me, let me share this with you. I mentioned this the other day at the funeral. I may have mentioned this to you a thousand times in years gone by. But the thing that I want you to remember right now is this. Jesus never performed one miracle for his own personal benefit. Never. And so you think about this just for a moment. He's hanging on the cross and he's saying, I thirst if, and I don't say that as if I'm doubting, but listen to this. 
If he turned the water into wine, don't you think he could have turned the vinegar into water? I mean, just the thought of it. He could have said, yeah, you boys think you got it on me, but you don't know. When you raise that thing up to me, it's going to be some of the coolest, refreshing water that you wished you had. He could have done it. But he was committed to the scriptures. But never in the scripture did Jesus ever perform one single miracle for his own personal benefit. I want to give you this one, number five, quickly. This stage of the cross also shows us how Jesus can sympathize with the sufferings of his own people. Many times I've been asked the question, preacher, why did Jesus have to suffer in agony like this? Why all of these things? Why, why, why did he, why did God subject him to all the cruelty of the cross? And I mentioned this many times in the past, and let me reemphasize this because there was no other way. He had to shed his blood. There's a scripture in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, and it says, and almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. There's a scripture in Isaiah 53, verse 4, because the word says, he himself had borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 15, the Bible says, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Don't ever forget, God knows all about our sufferings. So don't ever think that God doesn't know how you feel when you think that he doesn't know how you feel. He does. He proved that to us on the cross. Number six, we see an expression of a universal need. You know, the world today, they're saying this, basically. They're saying the same thing Jesus said on the cross, I thirst. But it's far different. This world today, it's thirsty for greed. It's thirsty for wealth. It's thirsty for fame. It's thirsty for violence. It's thirsty for war. It's thirsty for discrimination. This world is thirsty and it's thirsty for power. It's thirsty for pleasure. And the reason for this is because there is a huge void in their soul. They have no real inner peace. And I will say this, that the world will never be able to satisfy the longing of your soul. Only Jesus can do that. I believe that's why we have the scripture in John 14, verse 4, where Jesus said, Whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give shall never thirst again. And as our musicians come forward, I want to close with this last point, number seven on your outline today. And I wrote simply this. We see that Jesus is still thirsty today. But preacher, what is he thirsty for right now? I'll tell you what. He's thirsty for souls. Do you realize, and people ask me this from time to time, well, preacher, if we're living in the last days, if you believe that the rapture is imminent, if you believe that the rapture could take place any moment, 
And if you believe that since the days of the New Testament where the writers of Scripture went on to say that we were living in the last days, what on earth has taken him so long? I mean, just look around. Can we not say this to God? Just look around, God. I mean, what's taking you so long? All of the horrors of the earth? You've seen what I've seen in recent days, these, these unbelievable pictures of these little children in the Ukraine and, and these Russians, they're bombing hospitals and, and nursing homes and, and uh, places where just ordinary people are trying to shelter themselves. And you're thinking about this. That's God, where are you? Can't you see, God, what's happening? But understand this. Yes, these are horrific times. These are horrific days. These are horrific circumstances. But the reason why he has not come yet is because there's, there is one last person. I don't know who it is. You don't know who it is. But somebody on this earth will say, Dear Jesus, come into my heart and save me who will be the last one before that trumpet sounds. And here's my, my thing. If he was willing to wait for me and if he was willing to wait for you, can we not just pray as we say, even so come quickly, Lord Jesus. Can't we pray, Lord, for that last one to be saved before you return? He would have come all this way just for me and just for you. He's thirsty for souls. He's thirsty for our love. He's thirsty for our worship. He's thirsty for our devotion. He's thirsty for our praise. He's thirsty for our fellowship. He's thirsty for our communion. He's thirsty for our service to him. It's a little different than the thirst on the cross but he's still thirsty. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.